Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the All Stats Aren't We review of the Brighton away game and a preview of the Everton home game. I'm Darren Driver, the piss-coloured away kit of the podcast, just about getting away with it because of a spurious connection with Leeds United's past. And I'm here with the black third kit of the podcast, doing that which cannot be done, finally unifying the Leeds United fan base in a piss-boiling frenzy. It's Josh Hobbs. Hobbs, how you doing, brother? Yeah, I'm good, mate. You managed to get piss in a few times into the intro there. <laughs> when I was just reading out, I noticed that I'd managed to put that in twice and it was deeply unsatisfactory, but I'm too lazy to go back and re-record it. So we're just going to have to live with it. Is that all right? <laughs> yeah, we'll live with it, mate, yeah. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Hobbsy, how happy would you be if Dan James were to move on? <laughs> oh, dear. I don't know how to take this, being that feels like the Leeds United... Twitter sphere has been um, embroiled in arguments about this all day. I think there's there's those that are sort of like, oh, if we can get if we can get good money uh, for him, you know, get him gone, kick him to the curb, uh, and then others being like, how dare you? He's Dan James. He works hard. He might get better if he plays in his actual position, etc., etc. Um, yeah, I, I I don't like the idea of loan with an option to buy that feels like why would we do that deal for you spurs like are you what are you talking about um i quite like the idea of everton coming in and giving us a lot of money for him that that feels fun get get a good bit of money from um from a team that we hope will finish below us uh and yeah uh, they will have the most effortable attack that you could ever imagine which could which could be fun, but um, yeah, I certainly loan with an option, not good. Loan with an obligation, you could get me interested as long as that meant that we were um, we were going to bring somebody else in. I I wouldn't as much as I am not a fan of Dan James. I'm not going to pretend that I am. I certainly wouldn't want to see us with less players when we already don't have a big squad. So if it meant 
bringing someone else in. I don't think we should need someone to go in order to bring somebody else in. But if that's the way it is, then he, I mean, he's the one I would trade out for sure. Yeah, and would you be in favour of a bit of a recomp of the squad so that you, you, you know, effectively take James out who's notionally a winger and what bringing a cent bringing a centre forward is that the way you'd like to do it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, like like I said, I I don't see why we need to do it that way. But yes, that I think that is what you could do. It, it, certainly, striker seems to me the thing that that we need. Yeah, for sure. Whereas for you sure. could say that. I mean, I would say that Joffy could play, be playing on the right, potentially, which is where James has been playing. Mm. But we haven't tried that at this point. We'll we'll see whether whether Jesse ever wants to go in that direction or not. I don't know. But yeah, it will be. It will definitely be interesting to see. And this is this is uh, your last chance to have your say on the transfer window, Hobbsy, which closes on Thursday. And we, we we will be recording another podcast this week, but I don't think you're going to be on it. Um, so. How do you reflect on the transfer window at this stage? Because it, you know, it may be that our business is incomplete right now. Uh, it may be that we do some more, um, but um, you know, we, we wanted a significant amount of work done on the squad, and that has happened. But I still get the sense, and and I agree with you, um, that that sort of some of the it feels still a bit unsatisfactory at this stage, just because of the. That that we're still in the same situation as last season, where if if Bamford doesn't play, and you know, it, you know, we, who knows how much he's going to play across the season, that we're still kind of trying to plug gaps, really, and that doesn't feel great to me. Mm. I would say that I'm generally happy with the players that we've brought in. Rocker and Adams feels like we've really improved our midfield. I think that there are people that would argue, like, yes, we have, but also. If they're gone, we're straight back down to not feeling like we've got a good, um, a good midfield. But I think you know, in our kind of position in the league, there are not a lot of teams that have that kind of depth um, in midfield or, or anything like that. You've got your clear starters, um, and they are that. Christensen has obviously not had a great start in the Premier League, but I do believe that he will settle a bit. I, I don't know that it will ever be great, but I think he's. I do think he's going to be a passable Premier League right back, whereas you know at the moment we'd say he looks weak. Um, and I and I like Aronson, um, and I think Sinister is going to be very exciting. But I would, if that's the end of our business, then it, it can only be like I don't know a six or a seven out of ten uh, as a window for me, because like you say, a, a huge problem for us last season was lack of a striker uh, and we we have yet to fix that and it cannot be serious that we have <laughs> we have only junior furpo as a as a natural left back if you want to subscribe to like being natural in positions or whatever but in terms of that is the primary position that he's comfortable in playing he is the only one between under 18s and the first team like that's just nuts. So he might be the only professional footballer at the club who is a, would is call a, themselves a left back. A left back. Yeah. yeah, which is crackers. Yeah, that's not serious football club behaviour. No, I don't, I don't understand it. So that that I mean I can rant about that these two things forever. So stop me. But yeah, <laughs> how about uh, in stopping you? I propose that we move on to talk about Brighton one Leeds nil from the weekend. How does that sound? 
We'll, we'll try that, yeah. We'll try that. <laughs> okay, so we're going to start with the uh, interrogation, as we usually do, and I've, I've picked five questions which I think kind of get to the nub of some of the, some of the things that we'd like to talk about. Um, and we're going to start with a listener question uh, today. Uh, so Get One Yourself, Son, uh, asked a good question, which is, was this, was this a system failure, uh, the 1-0 defeat to Brighton, or... Was it just one of those days when too many players were off it? What do you make of this, Hobbsy? Yeah, I, this is a good question. I I even wonder if it, there's a third uh, option here. Yep. Which is um, Graham Potter is really good and smart. Uh, I, I apologise to Richard Lang, who's going to be bashing his head on the on a table right now as he listens to this, um, because <laughs> I know that he gets upset with the idea that there's a lot of Leeds fans that get get a bit too hyped on Potter, but Potter managed to completely nullify us under Bielsa, uh, and I think he managed to completely nullify us again uh, at the weekend. I think people, you know, w- could say, well, we did get some decent chances, but I, I'm not too um, excited about the Sinistera chance, although it's obviously like that's a, a sitter and he should score it. But I don't, I'm not sitting here going oh we created this incredible chance because if you get, if you go and watch it back Aronson dribbles into the box but he doesn't cross it he gets tackled and it just goes across the 6 yard box so that didn't feel like it, this great moment that we created um and other than that i think rodrigo got put through uh and i don't know if it was actually going to be offside or not but he had that shot that was saved uh and then there's the urente header from from a free kick but other than other than that yeah your shoulder whatever it is that he did <laughs> yeah. um there's there's nothing else really and I, I think i think it's a cop-out to just say something like um ah oh, all the players were bad it's like well why were all the players bad they were made to be bad by the way that Brighton played. Yeah, I've always thought that if you get one or two players who look bad, that that you can put put that down to the vagaries of form or a player having an off day. But I think if all of your players look bad on a, on a given day, that's probably because something in the system isn't working. Now, what you can what I think what you're saying, Hobbsy, is the system wasn't working because the opposition set up to nullify it and did that really effectively. Um, so yeah, and, and and I think I'd I think I'd broadly broadly agree with that. So, and I think. You can, sorry, you can, like I could be being a bit kind to us yeah, and, and maybe to, to, to Marsh because it, it, it may well be that it's like, well, this, the system is too easily blocked. Mm. Um, but I think we need to see what happens with other managers like, and other opponents. Do they manage to just shut it down as easily uh, as Potter did? And I think we need to recognise the fact that Potter does manage to do this to quite a lot of teams and he's done it before under our previous manager that is, is hailed as like a um as an incredible tactical coach that we all loved uh, but Bielsa couldn't get past Potter when it, I mean he did when we were um facing Swansea but but he never did um never did against Brighton and I think that kind of ad- uh, answers Adam's question. Adam Elliott of this parish, he sent in a question saying, are we bad or are Brighton good or both? And I think what, what, what you're saying is that you felt that Brighton's tactical approach was the defining thing on the day. So let's start to 
break this down a little bit because some of the points you just raised there and just touched on, I think we can explore a bit more deeply. So obviously there seem to be two camps of Leeds fans when it comes to thinking about the Brighton game. Um, One of which is that Leeds United should just turn up and beat Brighton because they're Brighton and we're Leeds United. And some who thought or seem to think that a result against Brighton was kind of unthinkable and, and unattainable. And it kind of got me thinking really because you're right, Potter has managed to nullify us on every occasion he's played us in the Premier League. So I, I'm sort of left with a question, really. So what should we expect in terms of results, in terms of performance, and in in, in terms of tactics um, against against a team like Brighton and against Gra- against Graham Potter specifically? Yeah, I think we need to acknowledge the fact that I'm pretty sure that our team costs more money than their team. So there is there is one... There is one argument to to say, well, based on that, we should be able to beat them. Um, but I think what I would say is that this team is a even though it costs more money to assemble, we're in like the start of a new cycle with this team, um, and we're this is the start of a of a new season where Marsh is trying to put his um, put his philosophy into place, and like we've just had a good performance from it. But I, he was kind of keen to say himself when he was asked, like, is this the benchmark now? He was kind of like, well, hang on, let's not say that yet. Like, we'll have great days and we'll have bad days and this was a great day. But um, but I think that, you know, Potter is into his fourth season in the Premier League with, with Brighton, I think. Um, and they are way down the line in terms of um, where he wants them to be. And they have gone through a fair amount of their own like dud transfers before they've got to their like really quality signings now uh, and sort of feel like they're a team kicking on. And even when they like they were performing well in terms of um, the way that Potter wanted them to play and all the XG numbers had them like high up the up the table, they weren't getting results. Uh, in the early seasons and now now they are sort of starting to deliver from their their good performances so i i kind of feel like we need to acknowledge that they're they're a long way further ahead of us in the journey uh and regardless of how much money we've we've spent in the last few seasons i don't think we should just expect to be better than them i i think i expect them to beat us still to be honest Hobbsy, i'm not as worried about Results, because I think, you know, results can go either way and yada, yada, yada. And, and, and as you say, I, I'm, I also rate Potter very highly and, and, and all the rest of it. But I, I think for me, I, I perhaps expected us to be able to cause them more problems than we were able to. Is that a bit naive of me? No, I, I would have wanted us to. <laughs> like I, I know you're saying you expect, not really want, want, because obviously we want that. But I don't know. Like I feel I watched, I watched Arsenal and Spurs both totally struggled to do anything against Brighton last season. So, and, you know, they went to Man United and bopped them, and it's like, sorry, I think, no, that was away. Did they lose? They beat Man United away at the start of the season? I can't remember, yeah. I think it was yeah, away. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, I do expect us to probably be better than we are. I want us to be better than we are, but then... I think I I acknowledge they are significantly better than us. I I think I think we said in the preview. I'm pretty sure we sort of said that 
we kind of dreaded this one more than the Chelsea game just because it feels like that they are one of the most well-coached teams in the league. They're one of the most, the teams that are most able to adapt to their opponents. Um, and it just, yeah, I, I would like to have seen a bit more um, in terms of us progressing. Like we did manage to progress the ball in the second half into their final third quite a bit. But I, I think we do have a bit of a problem in our team in terms of not enough like technical attackers that can then make something happen and we didn't have we didn't have the striker there to make something happen Sinistera came on and we started to see a little bit more I don't know I I think the starting 11 wasn't perhaps what I'd want in order to break down a team like Brighton yeah interesting stuff interesting stuff let's think about what happened when Brighton had the ball then because I think there were a couple of interesting things here one of which is that I felt like Brighton were able to get behind us really easily um, throughout the game at various points and also I felt like they nullified our counter press and, and made sure that we weren't really able to get get that involved or our high press in fact weren't able to to get get any, either of our sort of presses involved as a defining factor in the game so why Why were they able to get in behind us so easily, Hobbsy? What did they do on the ball that made it difficult for us? I think they were good at they were good at spreading it wide nice and early. Mm-hmm. I think I noticed a few times where they would go from the far side center back and then switch it over to the other wing and they would hit as we talked about they would hit um Danny Welbeck from around the halfway line, something like that uh and sort of take our middle of the pitch completely out of the out of the game. Uh, I also think they got behind us a few times by basically winning the ball in midfield and going cutting through us in like two passes, like transition. Um, Trossard in the first half got behind us twice, and we were lucky that we managed. I don't know if it was that because we managed to get someone back. Or that he just didn't fa- ever fancy taking a shot on his left foot once he got. I think that was. I think that was it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> he it, twice he, we managed to get the ball off him when he was trying to cut back onto his right foot, um, and they probably would have been the biggest chances of the match if he'd pulled pulled the trigger. Apart from the Sinistera one, did they both come from Brighton's counter press? I feel like it did. I f- I felt. I guess one of the things I felt is that they did counter press really well, as you've sort of said, that they won the ball in the midfield area and then sprung attacks on us really quickly. And I think both of those situations came from that. And then they were really direct in the way that we not would normally expect to be once they got the ball. I think. I think you're absolutely right. That that is. Kind yeah, of and what, I think what... I think it's something that we've we mentioned in pre season that we could be transitioned on like pretty easily because we can get caught in situations where we've got all these players in one spot and then we lose the ball. I mean, this is the thing about having a compact team. Like when you when you lose the ball, um you're you all try to win it, but if you don't win it, like you've lo- you've had like four or five players all taken out of the game in one go. Interesting though, I didn't feel like it, we were as compact in the first half as we were in the second half, and I wonder if we responded to Brighton spreading the pitch really big by kind of spreading out too much ourselves, because I felt Brighton were able to pick a way through us in a way that I wouldn't normally expect from a from a really compact team. I don't know if that's something you noticed, but it's certainly something I noticed on the rewatch today. Yeah, I, mean, I think I'd need, now you've said that, I'd need to go and have a little look at that again, but that's an interesting thought. As I, I definitely felt like there was something in our structure that didn't seem right in that in the first half uh and i mean the big thing that i picked up was just 
we seem to be playing balls to nowhere quite a bit in that first half. Yeah, and um, we're going to think a little bit more about the, uh, the our possession stuff now. So Jesse Marsh made some interesting comments after the game, which I thought it might be worth us um, talking about. He said, he intimated, he didn't say it in exactly these words, but he said that the players had tried too much build-up in the first half, tried to play out every time and caused problems for ourselves by giving Brighton the chance to press, um, counter-press. And he said that we were more direct in the um, second half. So how did you see our possession stuff? Because it did feel like we were passing ourselves in, in triangles into corners uh, quite a bit in the first half. Didn't do that so much in the second half. So how, how did you see it? Yeah, I, I think when I first saw these comments, I was a bit confused about it. Because my feeling in the first half was there was quite a lot of like pinging the ball away, but that pinging the ball away to no one where we couldn't then press it because it was sort of like going towards maybe the left flank quite a bit. Um, I th- usually because Urente was just kind of launching it away. Um, and I think perhaps that is because we were pass- trying to pass it around because we couldn't find the exit that we wanted to find in into the middle. So therefore, we were just then going, ah, we've got, we're passing it around, trying to manipulate that. Then they press us, and then we're like, oh, shit, got to boot it away. And then they're just keeping on getting it back to us, um, putting pressure on us. Um, and then in, in the second half, because in the post-match comments where he was saying, you know, we, we played more direct in the second half, I was thinking, well, I thought that our, like we kept the ball better and we passed it better in the second half. But I think there's a, as we've chatted about this a bit, feels like what he means when he says being more direct isn't necessarily what we always um, interpret that to mean. Like, I think I sort of imagine Warnock Deitch ball kind of thing when I hear more direct, just bang it up to the big man and, and get the second balls kind of thing. Um, but I think what he was really meaning was get it quickly through the midfield. That's what what he means by direct, be f- be fast to play it into that central area. And at that point, we actually changed to, uh, in the second half, we changed to a midfield diamond, uh, which I think part of that was in order to create more angles that we could pass pass to in, into the midfield because there's three, three there. The other thing that I noticed as well um, on the rewatch today is that that we were much more direct in terms of dropping Harrison, Aronson uh, into the midfield space to, to pick the ball up and run with it and, and try beat a man and then find a direct pass there. And I think that's that might be one of the things that it, it kind of means too. And actually, we we had our best move of the match from exactly those a combination of those two things that we're talking about just before Brighton scored their goal, which was quite frustrating. Um, just interesting about the you know the, the stuff around like trying to keep possession, trying to create space, trying to play out. I guess players are brought up to retain possession of the ball as they come through the system, and then and in this system they're instructed to hit areas more. So I guess there's some sort of tension, isn't there, between what footballers probably like to do, what they've been brought up to do, and what what they've been asked to do here. So I guess my question was because in the, in the same comment in the same press conference afterwards that I saw, he said that um, he, he said that this happened last season. He said um, the players just started doing what they wanted. 
basically is what he said. And I guess my question is, should we be worried that after game four of the season, Jesse Marsh is already saying that the players have gone off piste in the middle of the game? I just wondered if, if that's something to be concerned about or whether you just think it's a kind of momentary thing whereby, you know, they've, they've got themselves into a situation and, and uh, not really been able to find the way out of it that he wanted. I think it comes with more familiarity with the system for more of the players. So I think, yeah, I think what we've seen is when players feel under pressure, they try to find their own solutions to it. And as you say, they're not, they go to what they know more in those moments. But the more they play the system, the more uh, they sort of feel the familiarity of it, the more they trust it, the more they kind of think, well, th- this is how we overcome this um uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like this is how we overcome this this issue um, in this particular system, rather than this is how I would have overcome it in the past. Um, I th- I think we will see that. Um, I I think it's not that surprising that it, it it doesn't click in every single game, and that that there will be times where it goes to well, this, this maybe even this one player is breaking it or because he kind of suggested like Yorente <laughs> Yorente was basically messing it up from what he was saying but then what happens like like what do you do do you put Hjelda in do you put like do you swap it and put because it doesn't seem like Cooper's gonna be fit um I don't know like I'm not I'm not saying he's about to just take Yorente out of the team but if it's sort of like consistently happening where you've got a player that's breaking it then maybe you take them out but you, you kind of see what happens there. Yeah, interesting. I also thought Strauch was more direct with his passes in the second half and Strauch was one of the ones maybe that was playing more backwards balls or more lateral balls in the first half. I wonder if some of our problems came from that left-hand side particularly, but um, that combination. But being, again, it's something interesting to, to sort of monitor across across the uh, the season as we go on. We haven't sort of mentioned that I think the, I think the diamond did help us a bit in terms of winning the ball back in their half as well more. It seemed to match up a bit better against the way their shape was. I feel like a diamond is sort of inherently more compact because I think I think if you if you're playing in a two, you can probably split a bit wider. Whereas if you're like if you're the pivot in a diamond and then you're the two I guess eights would call it, but it's not eights. You know, like you, I think you have to kind of monitor that space probably a bit more closely in order to I don't know, it's probably just probably bullshit but um it sort of it feels it feels to me like a diamond would inherently be more compact than than a two than a three to me i don't know just just yeah yeah i don't know what you think about that but well, you know i think that the the four four two diamond the four triple two and the four two three one they can marsh wants them all to be like very interchangeable with the same personnel um i mean in a way you know we, we're used to that bielsa thing of like interchanging shapes with the same players um this is a bit slightly different but he for him i think he he sees them as you can use those formations all the same um like as in with all the same principles but you just position the players slightly differently in order to just change the way in which you press uh i don't know it'd be interesting to see it more when we kind of feel we're as familiar with these shapes as we became with the way that the the various man marking shapes worked definitely because i think for now I, i'm I, i'm kind of guessing why he's doing this and and what he's trying to achieve with it yep yep me, me too as you probably guessed from my previous <laughs> <laughs> interjection 
<laughs> okay. We're doing our uh, best. We're doing our we're, best. We're doing our, yeah, just bear with us, listeners. All right. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We've not had a little Rodrigo discussion in a minute, so let's do it now. So... Rodrigo seemed to revert to the Rodrigo of the previous seasons. And in each of the last two seasons, we've seen him have hot spells and then go through long spells where he's pretty anonymous or where he breaks the team or breaks the system in some way. And and I guess I'm not... I want to be really clear here. I'm not saying that I think this performance means... Oh, that you know, it's definitely a regression. But I guess I, I want to get a sense of how confident you are, Hobbsy, that this is just a blip in a good season. What I would say is... How much do we feel that he was playing really well in the in the opening games? And that's the thing that's been bugging me too. <laughs> and, and, and how much do we think it's well? He kind of was okay, but scored yeah. Yeah. four goals. Yeah. I would say that he he did play well as a number nine in the second half against Southampton uh, until he until we kind of went into that sort of mid block later on, and then it he was a bit trotting about, um, but. Uh, I also felt that he played well as a nine throughout against Chelsea. So I I said that at the time. I said I thought it was probably one of his best performances as a striker for, you know, he didn't quite play 90 minutes, but for for the majority of the game. Um, In this game, I felt, yeah, it didn't feel like like he didn't break the press, as we've kind of said in the past. I think it's just that the press in general wasn't kind of working because of the way that Brighton were playing. It wasn't like an individual not pulling their weight or anything. Um, my issue with him was more that he was kind of wandering around a lot and I wanted him to be the focal point up front, which I think is really necessary in this system, especially if you want to try and play with any kind of directness at all. Like in the, When I felt Rodrigo... Um, Llorente was kind of playing aimless balls forward in that first half. I thought, well, if you've got like a good physical striker that can run and get balls like that and play back to goal, and that actually, even though that's not what Marsh necessarily wanted in terms of those passes, you can have a good a striker that enables you to then tactically build from that because it brings the team up the pitch. Um, but Rodrigo was was never anywhere near those those balls, and in fact, he started dropping deeper and deeper, trying to trying to get the ball. Um, and oh, obviously, then it just means well, then he's not up front, and then we've got no presence up there. And in the second half, I felt like he he obviously had that one where he went in behind and and um, 
and shot and it was maybe offside. We will ne- we'll kind of never really know on that one. Um, but the rest of the time, I thought he was sort of popping up out wide and uh, there was a few times where he was making similar runs to Aronson and they were kind of getting in each other's way. And you just wanted him to be... I wanted him to be in the box occupying their centre-backs. And when you have a striker doing that, it creates space for the other attackers to to play. Um, but he wasn't there. And then you get that moment where Aronson has that cutback when all of us are screaming at him to shoot. If you see the screenshot where he cuts that back, Rodrigo's like a good five yards away from where you want him to be, which is making a run to the back post. Um, because he's not, he wasn't in the box beforehand, so it's just yeah. Uh, he I don't believe that he's a centre forward like a true number nine. I believe he's like a second striker. He's a ten. He he will have some good games as a nine, but overall, we we as I've argued a million times, we need more of a a Bamford type. Mm. For me, this game really underlined that thing you've been saying all summer, uh, Hobbsy and and. Yeah, that's why I wanted to talk about it uh, today. Okay, I think that brings us to the end of the Brighton uh, review. Uh, That was more fun than watching the game was. Uh, So thanks for that, Hobbsy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's move on to the Everton preview. So first up, I've I've not watched a ton of Everton. I watched a bit today. But um, what's your take on Everton so far this season, Hobbsy? Well, I mean, they haven't started well. It kind of feels like they've... They've sort of carried on like they they played survival ball at the end of of last season. Um, I mean, so did we. But they they kind of really went into the like we're gonna try to defend deeply and and just use Anthony Gordon on on ca- counter attacks and so on. Um, and they obviously had that comeback win to stay up in the penultimate game, and uh, Calvert Lewin scored, and it's all big celebrations and then <clears throat> like Bamford uh, Calvert-Lewin gets injured quickly at the start of this season and, and they're struggling um, because again they don't have a focal point either um, they've got like a three-man front line of three wingers um, which is never what you want um, and yeah I, I, they're, they're, they're carrying on like I think when Lampard first started he tried to do a 4-3-3 there um, and kind of fairly quickly went to a three four three, and that they're, they're still playing that three four three. Um, but yeah, I, I I think they're in some trouble at the moment. Um, I think he's probably in danger of being one of the early sackings. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we well, that's what we hope. Let's let's hope that it doesn't. It's not a game against Leeds, which is the sort of lights the touch paper for their season yeah that wouldn't that would be entirely typical too <laughs> um, what do you think what do you think um the the strengths and weaknesses of everton's tactical approach are it's hard to find a lot of strengths at, at the moment if if i'm if i'm honest like i think this the the strengths that they i mean they're looking for like pace on the break and stuff um but i don't think they have a lot of quality in that um and they're they're looking for defensive solidity, um, trying to um, utilize the new signings in in Tarkovsky, Cody, both players that have played in back threes before and done well. So I, I don't know. It's it's hard to kind of say. Like I can I can name some strengths of some individual players, but I don't know if I can name some strengths of of their approach other than that 
counter-attacking football, like absorbing pressure and counter-attacking football can be an effective thing to do. But it also means that you're going to cede a lot of the ball to the opposition and, and so on. Uh, I think that I can name a lot more weaknesses in terms of uh, strengths and weaknesses in terms of their actual... Um, like what I've seen from their team rather than what their approach is, if you, if you get me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, talk, talk me through some of the weaknesses you've observed. Well, I think there was a... Watching the Brentford game, I think what I saw was a big gap um, between their midfield and their back three because it's a, like a flat midfield four. And then there's just... So once you're through the, the their like two eights, there's just a gaping chasm between that and... And uh, and their three and Brentford ran into that space on a lot of occasions in the first half where they just kept losing the ball in the sort of crucial moment or getting into the box and then missing the chance. Um, in the second half, once Everton had Everton took the lead sort of like two thirds of the way through the first half and basically from that point on seemed to try and defend a one nil lead away from home. And so the the same space wasn't there anymore because Everton were trying to defend a bit deeper, but they didn't have the quality to um to to keep the clean sheet. But yeah, I I think the the big thing, the massive weakness that I think Leeds will want to exploit if they can, uh, is is basically trying to get players like Aronson, Sinistera, Harrison on the ball on the half turn behind their num- their eights and just running at that back three. Yeah, I agree. And and do, do you um think this might be a game for Click? Because I think that might be that might be the sort of game where it, he looks really strong. Because that's kind of his game, isn't it? He's getting behind the opposition midfield into those gaps between the the, the defense and the the midfield and trying to you know find smart passes and trying to exploit that space. And that's just literally off the top of my head. That mm, I, I think he would certainly want to play in this game. I think he would probably feel that the Everton away game last season was probably one of the games he hated most where he was kind of like stuck in the defensive midfield position wasn't he in a, in a game that just it did not suit him at all playing in in that role in that game um yeah I don't know I I could kind of see Click or Sinistera coming in and I think it it feels like that got um hinted at by Marsh actually that's why I asked yeah I think what I could see here is James coming out, Aronson going to the right, and Click playing as a ten, and then Sinistera is probably like the first change. Yeah, uh, I think that's that's probably what I could see here. Yeah, or maybe Sinistera in and Click coming on the, as the first change as well. I doubt we'll start in this game in the diamond, so I think we'll probably do the four-two-three-one again. And yeah, it could. I think it either of those things could happen. Um, it just it feels to me like yeah, getting in behind that midfield too, that we could get a lot of joy there. That's where I kind of see us being able to win it. That and um, that and set pieces, which I, I obviously said that last last game as well. But I think we were then rubbish at our set piece delivery against Brighton. But uh, they defended the corner that. Um, that Brentford equalised from really badly. <laughs> yeah, they did. It was shonky as anything. If we can get our crosses in well, like we we can get chances mm-hmm. for sure. So you, you're expecting the four two three one four triple two type thing uh, again, and and Marsh has hinted that there will be rotation. 
so beyond the ones that we've already mentioned, do you expect there to be any other? Like, do you expect Rodrigo to continue at the nine, or do you think he might give Joffe a go up there? I think he'll carry on with Rodrigo at the moment. Mm-hmm. I I'd probably see probably just one change. I th- I think. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you could say it could be Sinistera and Click come in. Like, I, we could say can Rocker play um, another game so soon when he seems to not quite have the stamina uh, at the moment. Um, so perhaps we we could see um, we could see. Adams and for sure in midfield, I don't know. Uh, I think I, if if Rocker can start, I would want him to start because the thing that I see here is I think he will be the one that can get those balls between their midfield too um, and get us into that space. So yeah, have a punt at the lineup, Obzi. Let's say I think I'm gonna say that it will be unchanged apart from it will be James out. But I'm going to go with Aronson stays in the middle and Sinistera comes in on one of the wings. Okay, let's think about some of the tactical issues then. So we've heard a little bit about how Everton play. We've heard how how we're expecting to play. So um, Lee, okay, so let's think about Lampard, the Lampard effect. So Lampard (laughs) did seem to have worked out how to beat Bielsa's leads, you know, by effectively matching the pressing and the intensity up and carrying the ball centrally and all those sorts of things that people did to, to beat Bielsa's leads. What do you think his approach will be in this game? Do you, what What do you think he'll be hoping to target in our team? There's part of me that kind of feels like Lampard is <laughs> could be stupid enough to go. Well, this worked last time I played against Leeds, so that's why something. I asked because I thought the same. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, if he did, if he did that, it would honestly be hilarious. It would. Um, it would. Uh, Surely he can't. Surely he won't. But anyway, I <laughs> but, but it'd be f- it would be funny if he sort of went. Well, we know Leeds play man marking. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, we did used to do, but it just felt like it took him so long to figure out how to play against Bielsa. Yeah. That I wonder if, like, he obviously did it in the end, and and uh, sadly, you know, one up to us. Uh, I mean, I don't really count the Chelsea ones because I feel like. At that point, you've got him with a stupidly better team um, than than us. But the Everton game, I felt like we should have turned up and beat that. In my head, we were going to turn up and beat them. Um, but he 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 got it right that day. Um, and yeah, I I feel like he he won't have. He's never played Marsh, and I I don't feel like he's gonna quite know the answer to it. I know he'll have analysts and coaches around him. Um, what I kind of wonder is if what they did against Brentford might work just because it's their natural approach, which is um, they have, as I said, they've got they're playing a three four three, so they have wingers and wing backs, and so they could get two v ones against our full backs if they get the ball over there quick enough. Um, and there were a couple of occasions that I noted, like I was saying, with the um, like the far side centre back, then switching it across. Uh, if they can get it, for example, up to Anthony Gordon or Damari Gray quick enough, that then I think they can maybe expose one of our uh, one of our fullbacks where we know we can get done in two v ones because our wingers um, don't kind of tend to to get back that easily from from the positions that they're in um 
that's kind of what I wonder. So then it becomes, can we disrupt them from actually making those switch balls in the first place? So I feel like their back three is very pressable. Uh, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be Connor Cody, Tarkovsky, and Mason Holgate, and I don't kind of see any any of those three as like really technically proficient defenders that can uh, that can sort of work their way through a press. Yeah, there were a couple of times as well when I noticed that although you're right, there was a huge gap between their midfield and their back three, that their back three was incredibly high as well at some points in the first half, which I think might be an interesting thing to look out for. I guess I guess it's obvious that if they push their wing-backs so high alongside their wingers that they're going to leave some similar gaps to the ones that we leave um, in, in wide areas, and I think that might be something that we can we can exploit and and that that gap between their midfield and their back three is something you've already identified as something that we can that we might be able to get into and set pieces as well is something that you've mentioned and they're vulnerable to a press so that, that it does sound like there's going to be a lot of opportunity for us there to really get into them based on the things that you said that they've got significant enough weaknesses that that if our if we play well that we should be able to exploit them yeah i think so i i, I kind of feel like it could be quite a chaotic game. I don't think they're going to come and sit back and and defend deep because I think they know they need. They still haven't got a win yet, uh, and they probably will see us as a team that they want to try and finish above. Like obviously, every team wants to finish above every team, but they'll also have their realistic targets, uh, and I think they'll probably be going. Oh, if we finish it above this team in this little mini league, then we're going to be safe. Um, so that I think they think they need to get wins against teams like us. So I do, I think they will come out and, and attack us. So there will be that space for us to attack. But I just kind of feel like we might be two teams that are fairly well set up to hurt the other team. And then it comes like if we execute well in those transition moments, I think we'll ultimately have enough t- to win it. But I, I I do worry a little bit about those quick switches and and getting 2v1s I I mean I think we're going to probably worry about that for most of the season but it just feels like a team playing a 3-4-3 could could well be a team that could could cause big problems in that regard and we we have to hope that Everton just don't do that well and I I think probably they might not do that well but I think we have to acknowledge that that is a potential problem yeah, I agree with that. I also think that neither team is particularly set up to retain possession, so I think it might be one of those games where it'll be frustrating and scrappy to watch because there'll be a lot of turnovers at various points and, and I, I don't think it'll be a game that'll have a tremendous amount of rhythm and structure to it and like you say, I think that, that will, that'll mean it'll be quite chaotic uh, and quite chaotic to watch. Um, interestingly, I'm... As you know, I live half a mile from the Leeds ground, but I'm actually working away in Liverpool tomorrow. So, so I'm wondering whether to go find a pub somewhere in Liverpool <laughs> and watch watch it uh, watch it with the Everton fans. We'll see. We'll see how that goes. But so, it, lots lots of different areas. Though, where do you expect the game to be won or lost, Tobsy? I mean, it feels like in those kinds of areas that we've talked about. Like, yeah, it does. If if, if we, um, yeah, I I think we will get the ball on the half turn in that space a lot. The question, as I just kind of said, can we then put that together? I We should be able to, I think, because I think it's not going to be like we then get crowded out because I just don't think they're going to get the numbers back. Um, so 
if we if we sort of buckle all our um all our transitions i'll be pretty disappointed i feel like this game for me this feels m- much more of a of a test of where we're at than the last two did like the chelsea game was like a, oh we, we kind of see a like oh this this uh, way of playing can be a way of disrupting some much better teams uh, and causing them problems we knew that brighton were a tough team for us to face they're a smart team etc etc what we've already said so we kind of know that's difficult it proved to be difficult and then this one is like well this is a game we should be thinking that we're going to win um and we want to yeah if if it doesn't work effectively in this game then there's questions of like right well what how will it be more effective and i'm i'm not saying that um i don't want to suddenly have an inquest because we've had a good start to the season but for me this is one where i will i will probably be more critical if this game goes badly because this is one that that i i feel we we would be totting up beforehand as that's one we expect to take three points from i completely agree with you uh hubsy what are your plans on the patreon this week well i think i might see how this one goes uh, what i have in my head at the moment based because i'll do one either I, I might combine something from the two games so from the brighton game and from this game if i think there's themes that go across the two but i i think there probably won't be <laughs> because i think the tactical setups of both the opponents are are so different uh, so it might just be, does a player really stand out or or does something really stand out from the Everton game? If not, it will be something on the diamond uh, midfield. So look out for that on uh, patreon.com slash ASAW. And last week we saw the return of our podcast about the development team, 23s, aren't we? Yes, we know it's not 23s anymore, but blah, blah, blah. We're still calling it 23s, aren't we? For reasons you will hear if you decide to listen to that podcast and if you want to listen to that again as Hobbsy says sign up for patreon.com forward slash asaw okay i think that brings us to the end Hobbsy. it's been really nice to talk to you about these two games mate and um, we'll be back on thursday with a review of this game and a preview of the next one so until then enjoy the game everybody and have a great week A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and ir- 
irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.